Welcome back to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. We began a series of podcasts last month where we were talking about the impact of prison on children when one or both parents are incarcerated. Amy Friedman, a writer and an activist from California, was one of our guests. She created a club for high school students called POPS, Pain of the Prison System a club which offered a safe place to share that intimate fact, having a parent behind bars. Today, five million kids have a parent in prison. Thanks to Amy, I will be speaking with four young adults who are all too familiar with the many challenges of staying connected to a mom or a dad in a correctional facility. Over the next few weeks, we will meet these very special guests each of whom have handled their situation differently. Now we welcome Stephen Montoya. Stephen, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. All right. On our last podcast, we spoke with someone that you know pretty well, Caron Benson. What do the two of you have in common? Uh, so... Karan and I, we both work for this organization called Echoes of Incarceration. And what Echoes of Incarceration is, it's, it's a group of, of young kids between the ages of 15 to 21. And they all have something in common in which we've all been impacted directly by, by mass incarceration. We've all been uh, children of previously or currently incarcerated parents. And with this group, what we learn is we learn um, how to do journalism and activism to bring, uh, to bring knowledge to the community about how mass incarceration of the parent can affect the family, and especially the child, during the time that the, uh, that the parent is incarcerated and the trauma that comes even after the parent has already been um, released. Uh -huh. And how long have you been involved with Echoes of Incarceration? Uh, I've been involved with Echoes of Incarceration since 2008. Um, mm, wow, it's a long time. How how old were you when you began your involvement with them? I believe I was between the ages of 15 and 16. Okay, so you were pretty young. All right. And what was the reason that you became involved? Oh, um, so the reason I became involved with Echoes is um, again, my, I'm the son of a previously incarcerated mother. My mom got incarcerated when I was five years old and got released shortly before my my 18th birthday. Um, and I was going through a really bad time. Um, I, I used to get bullied a lot in school, especially because um, I went to a school where people that, that were my classmates in kindergarten ended up following me uh, up until my up until eighth grade and then that's when i started high school and it was different but um for the for the majority of my academic career most of the kids that were with me in kindergarten followed me and my mom's parole officer came to visit me when i was in first grade to explain to me the situation as to where my mom was um and when i and i didn't understand what was going on at the time they used way too many big words for me to understand <laughs> at that age i didn't i didn't know what i didn't know what incarcerated meant so, um, but apparently when I get, when I got back to the classroom, one of the classmates of mine knew what incarcerated meant. So a rumor started to go around 
as to my mom's my mom's a criminal, my mom's in jail, Steven's gonna grow up to be a criminal just like his mom. And um and uh I ended up getting into a lot of fights. I ended up getting into one that ended up getting me into some problem with law enforcement. And um since I was very young to be charged, um they the judge came up with an idea to um to recommend me to this group that had just came out during that time and it and um they were working hand in hand with this other group called Osborne Association so um Echoes was just starting out they hadn't even filmed any documentaries yet they were just starting with the idea so um so the judge recommended me to the program and I joined and I started to see that I was among a group of kids that were also in the same situation as, as myself. And I started to learn and I've been with it ever since. I'm, I'm now considered a counselor within the group. Mm, that is just, wow. Isn't it incredible that one turn in your life towards a group like this, um, whether it's Echoes or it's Pops, can make that much of a difference? Where do you think you'd be had that never happened? So uh, with, I was very lucky to meet Echoes because Echoes gave me an outlet as to how to release uh, the pain of the trauma of having one. Because my biggest thing, uh, my biggest thing with having an incarcerated parent was feeling like I was the only one in the world that was going through that. Um, it felt like I literally had nobody else to talk to. It, it felt like the per the people that I was assigned to talk to didn't really care or understand the situation. So it felt like I was always kind of just talking to myself um trying to get somebody to understand so um the biggest thing for me was just knowing that now I'm among a group of kids that are in the same situation and see and and the difference with my mom was even though my mom did a lengthy sentence there was always that light at the end of the tunnel that we knew my mom was going to eventually come out mm -hmm. um other kids in this group I've met have parents that are serving life sentences so they yeah. never have that. They, they they will never have that hope of ever coming out. Um, right. So just just seeing that there were kids that were going through the same or even worse humbled me a lot. And um, so to answer your question, even with that group there, I I was still you know I was still very naive and and went through a lot of things that I didn't need to go through. Um, but I feel like if if it wasn't for this group, I probably most likely would have ended up serving a, a, a long sentence myself if I hadn't had a, a like a good environment to surround me. That's quite a statement. So they they have made really uh, it's like a life changing impact on you, and and that that's wonderful. That is wonderful. Um, Caron mentioned um, uh, the Osborne Association also. Uh, so I think that was, um, they were responsible for helping him get into Sing Sing to do that film that he did uh, with uh, visiting his dad for the first time. So, and he explained to me uh, the difference between Pops, um, which is more of a club at school taking place at lunchtime, um, and Echoes of Incarceration. How, how do you see, the, do you know much about POPs and how do you see the two uh, organizations? I don't, I, I honestly don't know a lot about it, but I, I know enough to 
I guess to speak on what I do know. Um, so as you as you had mentioned, um, Pops is is an in school program that meets during lunchtime for the for the kids to pretty much associate with with kids that are going through the same. So um, Echoes is is different in the sense that it's not during school. I mean, yeah, it's going around it, like the the program Echoes of Incarceration goes through the entire year, whether it be um, academically or just the year, the calendar year in total. But um, but what they tend to do is when they know that that the members are in school, because the members tend to be uh, teenagers. When when they know that they're in school, they meet about two to three times a week throughout the school year, and then they they have summer camps. So as soon as as soon as school is over, the on the first week of July. So the first week of August, they have a, a camp where they pretty much show the training that we that the senior members, such as myself and Karan, um, the senior members go through the training all year round. For those that can't do the whole year round or want to learn how they can qualify to join the senior crew, they go through um, a training camp that's that's for the summer, which is called the summer the summer liberation camp. Mm. Um, and what they do is um, within five to six weeks, they teach them everything that we learn in a year round of like um, advocacy work as well as journalism on, on the topic of mass incarceration. They teach them that. So mm, that's um, great. Yeah. And they, and they do it in a, in a certain amount of time for like, so like from the 1st of July to the 1st of August, that whole time they break the camp up with between advocacy days and journalism days. And they teach them how to do film. Um, by the end of the camp, they come up with three films, focusing, focusing. Yeah, they come up with three films focusing on the topics of mass incarceration, or now they started to add a lot of um, of immigration as well as um, relationship abuse. But but the main thing has always been um, incarceration. So now, yeah. how old how old are the kids that can attend the summer program? Between the ages of fifteen to twenty-one, I'm actually I'm oh, actually same. twenty-seven. Oh, <laughs> okay. I, I'm actually I'm actually twenty-seven, so I'm no longer like a like um I guess a crew, or how how would I say like a, I'm no longer a, a camper. I'm I'm a senior crew member, so I'm I taken on the responsibility of being sort of like a counselor to the new members, mm -hmm. just somebody they can talk to, That's and stuff wonderful. like that. Do you have, um, is it difficult to get kids to uh, join Echoes of Incarceration? I don't know if you use the word join uh, or attract kids to the group. I wouldn't say, I, I, I would say not really because this, uh, the Liberation Summer Camp started, I believe it started in 2014 or 15. Um, and it's been going ever since, and every year it has a good amount of kids. So I wouldn't say attracting them is what is what's the hard part. It's just breaking that that defensive barrier that all kids have at first um, when they're in a environment that they're not so familiar with at first. You know, they tend to have like they they tend to be um, just the nervousness of being in a place that you're not familiar with or with kids that you're not familiar with. And you just heard little stories like, oh, well, you're you're gonna be able to relate at first. There's always gonna be like that that barrier of like, I don't know if I can fully be myself with you. But um, 
but I, but it's a, it's a safe environment and we're all very understanding. We try to keep it as, as family oriented, oriented as possible. So like, um, I, I, I feel like at first it's hard to break through to some kids because just some kids are more quiet than others. But, um, but once you successfully break through that barrier, like that's it. Like the kid is fully, you know, the, the child is fully involved, you know, and, and we've, we've had members of the summer of the liberation summer camp keep coming back, keep coming back year after, after year until they no longer feel like they want to be just a, just a camper. And now they want to be part of the actual permanent crew. Um, and again, the crew breaks into like the new members that are that are joining every year, and then there's the senior crew members. So, like as as I had mentioned, um, Karan and myself were part of the senior crew. We we've been we've been at it for years, um, but now w- within the course of the last five six years, we've had a lot of new members that are now starting to join the permanent crew as well, and um, and the numbers just keep growing. So that is true. How 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 big is the group, Stephen? Um, I, I have no concept of how many young people are involved in Echoes of Incarceration. Okay, so in Echoes of Incarceration, in the like in the permanent crew as of right now, um, the senior crew is about a good seven to eight of us, oh. uh, including myself and the senior crew. That that's mm-hmm. that's including me and Karan. That's that's about like eight of us. And now within the the new kids that have joined. There's about like a good five or six new kids, and then um, the summer camp each year is about is about twenty to thirty kids every oh. year. I see. Oh, I thought I thought it was lar- much larger. Now, is it? Um, do they meet just kind of in one uh, one spot? Is it only one group that um, this is you know composed of? Echoes. Um, so, so the summer camp that they do, the liberation summer camp, that's hand in hand with this organization called Americans Friends Service Committee, which is a Quaker organization. Um, and, and, and we worked hand in hand with them to -hmm. create the, the, the liberation summer camp. Uh, but they also get a lot of, um, kids that are recommended from Osborne. Um, so, so I, we we have one we have one place where we meet which is actually at the at the Quaker organization um American Friends Service Committee which is right there in Union Square a couple oh. blocks away from a couple blocks away from Union Square um and that's usually where we meet before this whole COVID-19 um thing started we were meeting on we were meeting in that in that building uh three times a week uh Mondays Wednesdays I mean no Yes, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays were the days that they were meeting. And what happened now uh, that you can't do that? Are you able to stay connected to some of these uh, kids? Well, it's been it's it's been a lot harder, a lot more challenging. But um, technology is is great. So uh, so they've been doing a lot of like Zoom classes. Zoom, and stuff like that. <laughs> right, right. Good old Zoom. All right. Well, um, now you and Caron share the love of, of film and documentary, uh, you know, that genre. Um, you were also part of a film project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, so uh, they take uh, the film, 
the film crew echoes takes pride in in making films that have to focus with those topics um so everybody goes through film training everybody learns how to get familiar with the cameras and the angles and how to take shots open pictures as well as as well as um actual film um they have a couple i mean they, they have a lot the first film though Echoes of Incarceration, the, the original one, came out in 2008, and um, I was I was about 15 or 16 when that one came out. Um, and the the thing that was very different was again the the the, the journalists of the film were primarily us, the kids. We were telling it from our you know from our point of view, but um, instead of just like somebody from the outside looking in. And saying, okay, so like this is what it's like. No, we we were actually the ones to say, well, this is what I go through on a daily basis. This is what I've seen. This is what I've been exposed to. This is what what my my mother, my father, my X, Y, and Z goes through. Um, and um, we also did person in person interviews where we went and did interviews with experts on the topic. We did we did um, interviews with lawmakers, uh, correctional officers, lawyers judges um and and we and we used the information that we gathered from these experts and, and included it in the film of how that trauma affects a kid um and we start and through that documentary we opened doors to many more other documentaries to where we started to learn how science plays a huge role and and how can i say like how how science plays a huge role as as into somebody be, becoming stuck in the system, and how there's many things that we don't actually know. For example, there, um, here in America, there's a there's a thing called the school to prison pipeline, which which is um which is depending like they they run school the way that they run a prison, um, and if you really look at the way that they do everything, it's, it's kind of subconsciously training your mind to learn how to obey if you're ever put in a situation to where you end up behind bars, you become like an, like a, a model, a model inmate. Um, so, so, um, I kind of lost my train of thought. But. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to pick up on what you're saying, because it's very, very important. The point you made, the school to prison pipeline. This is something that has always interested me as someone who taught kids who couldn't read all my life. Um, and when you can't read and you are a sixth grader or a seventh grader, what's going to happen to you? We know, right, the answer, because we also know that there is a very high rate of illiteracy in juvenile detention. And then, of course, that moves to uh, adult uh, prisons and most most of the people who are struggling with with literacy are boys or men. So, uh, you know what I saw when I taught is um, I had a, quite a few class clowns because you know if you if you can't do the work then you don't want anyone to know that and so you start to misbehave and that way you're off the hook. So I, I often think, Stephen, about some of those boys that I taught way back in the 1970s and 80s and 90s when I was still in the classroom. 
and I wonder what happened to them. And it would not surprise me to find out that many of them ended up behind bars. So yeah. what you're saying about the school to prison pipeline is that uh, I, I read um, a great, great deal about it, that when a child misbehaves, sometimes the school system is very tough on them and they might put them in a juvenile uh, uh, detention program. And that starts the pipeline going. So exactly. I, I'm, I'm very, very glad you brought that up because it, it's very distressing to me to know that that exists. And, and indeed it does. And you also made a reference to um, when we spoke before the interview about brain development in teens. Yes. Um, yes. We don't have a great deal of time left, but can you tell us just a little bit about that? And what okay, does that so, have to do with the, what we're talking about? Okay, so um, we, we just recently finished the documentary where uh, it was a three-part documentary and we were working hand-in-hand -hand with Rick University. And um, the way that, was it your, no, um, yes. No, no, no. And I, I believe it was NYU, NYU. But um, okay. but the documentary was um, working on the brain science behind most of these incarcerations of young people, um, and and how they noticed that here in the United States they tend to to try first convictors, especially when they're young. They tend to try them with no mercy and just try them as an adult. And right. a lot of these kids, you, you'll you'll go to prisons and see that there's these kids that did crimes of just being at the wrong place in the wrong time or just through association serving life sentences or sentences they came in when they were 13 and they're 40 or, or going on 50 and they're still serving a sentence for something that nowadays we would consider to be idiotic as a reason to just waste a life away like that. Um, right. And we tend, and when you interview these people that are in jail and you ask them the way they thought when they were at that age compared to how they think now, not a good 99.99% of the time you're going to see that their mentality is not the same. Um, so that, so that being the case, there was like, there has, um, they decided to do an experiment. Um, and we, they noticed that there's something called the emerging adult, which is between the ages of, I believe, uh, I believe 13 to like about 20, 22. I, I don't remember the numbers by heart, but I believe it's like from from once once you start becoming a teenager, which would be 13, till about the age of 21, 22, where your brain is still growing. It's 25. Um, it's age 25 because I've read 25. I've read, read the studies. Yeah, right. And that's yeah. when your brain is finished maturing, but not until then. So, you know, what does that say? We we kind of think, well, if you're if you're 18. Uh, well, you're considered an adult. You may be considered an adult in the eyes of the law, but that doesn't yeah. mean you're mature. So, yeah, exactly. I wanted I wanted you to to raise that too because that that's very important. Um, so, you you really have um, become very deeply connected to this wonderful group. Um, what what's up ahead for yourself? What what do you see as your goal? Because we only have a couple minutes left. Uh, as to my goal, um, I've, I've always been a person that when I've been involved with the group, I've always enjoyed being in front of the camera rather than behind it. I feel like, like, uh, I was blessed with a voice that is loud. I, and I, and I believe I have 
a big mouth. So I like to just talk about the topics that really are close to me. I feel like I have a lot of experience in this, especially because I've been involved with the group and just try to be involved as much as I can. So um, for me, at least, I know that wherever I can, wherever I have the opportunity to go and share my story to where it will affect somebody. And that's the biggest thing for me. I, I feel like my story has, has been able to help a lot of kids that have been going through the same or similar um my voice has been able to help a lot of kids because I was going through, like I was about to become stuck in the system myself had I not learned of a better way to get that anger and, and, and just hurt out. So I feel, so for me personally, um, I don't know where the future might take me, but I know that it will always be wherever I can share my voice. That's where I will be. That's great. And, and something you said, I think has to be underscored and you said you felt very very much alone uh, that you know um, no one else had been through what you were going through and now you can say to kids no you're not alone I went through it and, and you also you know your friend Caron went through it as well and I think when kids see they're not alone it makes a big big difference in their life yeah. so yeah. you're doing some great work both of you are doing some great work and I, I'm very, very honored to have met you and had you on the program and keep doing the good things that you're doing. Um, I, I, you. I hope you, I hope you stay with it. I really do. Well, thank you very much, Stephen, for your, your time today. And I want to remind people that if you have comments or questions, please write to me at pursuing jot dot, sorry, justice, five at gmail.com and we'll see you next time for more interviews of young people impacted by the prison system thank you again Stephen. thank you so much mm -hmm.